Gorky in the pistol. Now Collins stands next to him in the shotgun. Gorky asks for it and now has it. Gorky will throw across the middle. Got it complete. Cody Rice behind the Wolverines. He dives. Touchdown, Michigan State. He split the defenders and the Spartans strike first in Ann Arbor. This is Spartan Red Zone, your source for the best MSU and college football analysis, picks, banter, and anything else going on in the college football world. Welcome into this latest edition of SRZ. We got a full slate for you guys here today. I'm your man, Nathan Stearns, alongside fellow football beat reporters Aiden Champion and Zach Serdnick. Guys, we've arrived. College football is back this week. Starting on Saturday, it's kind of a mundane five-game set. Like, I don't know who decided, oh, Nebraska-Illinois is going to be the Big Ten's kickoff game. Like, that That to me is one of the, like, snooziest games imaginable. I mean, you got Hawaii and UCLA, but it's just nice to have football back, period. For sure. I mean, Nebraska-Illinois is going to be very, uh, I guess, interesting, but I don't honestly think it's going to be that interesting. Um, but I'm excited for that Hawaii-UCLA game you mentioned. Chip Kelly and UCLA and then Hawaii is always fun to watch week zero is like the only time I watch Hawaii football but it's like my favorite experience of week zero every single year the NFL preseason also back in full swing just football period that I'm that I love to see even though if Matt rules listening and I know he's not but let Sam Darnold throw the bloody ball in preseason we're now through two games, and he's thrown two passes, one of which was to the back of the end zone. Like, don't bring your starting quarterback in for one series in the second game only to have him hand it off every time. Like, we got to open the playbook up a little bit. The guy's raw. He needs some game reps. And you played the Ravens, which was one of the best defenses in all of football last year. I know you have the joint practices, but holy Moses, I had to get that off my chest. I... I hope he plays more against Pittsburgh because I'm kind of tired of seeing the Will Greer, PJ Walker show. They've both been various degrees of crap, but that's XFL legend, PJ Walker. Yes, it is. It is. What do we guys think of the upcoming school year? I mean, we're what only a week, a week and a half away. Yeah. Summer. It's funny. Like when you're in college, summer goes by exponentially quicker than the year does. Maybe it's because you just work all the time and you're stuck loading giant things of two by fours into Toyota Priuses. But at least how do you guys get core schedules? Look, mine's great. I only got six credits. I put only six credits for Stern's whoopee in the meeting deck. Like I, this is going to be easy for me. I'm, I'm chilling. I mean, it'll be okay. I've got a few different, uh, got a few journalism classes, but then I've got some nicer. I've got, uh, coaching basketball I've got golf too so I've got some nicer classes too so I should be chilling. I've got 13 credits not too bad um, definitely gonna be a, a lot less of a load than I've had in years past so I'm looking forward to it yeah, I can't believe it. I, I know I said this but can't believe it's only a week and a half away and then senior year for champion and I I mean the pandemic, the pandemic starts, you get school canceled after, after what was it, the week we came back after spring break as sophomores, and then you blank and you're, you're a senior and you're 90% of the way done with your course load. But the only other thing I wanted to say before we really get into our show content for this week, I saw a quote about a week back, and it was about tech, it was about Tucker saying, maybe we'll play both Russo and Thorne in week one. If that happens, I am going to kill somebody. I absolutely, other than bringing your closer in in a non-safe situation, the only thing that I hate more is rotating in offensive linemen and rotating in quarterbacks. It's wow. a completely, they're two completely different players. One guy's a gunslinger with a rocket of an arm and another guy's more of a cerebral game manager-esque guy who can get out of the pocket. But there's two different cadences, two different play styles. It's it's just, it never works out. You have to go with a guy and stick with it. Yeah, I don't, if I'm being honest, I don't think that's going to happen, that they'll play both. Um, I think it was Jay Johnson that the quote was from. Um, and Johnson, at least the way that I took what Johnson was saying, 
was more of that uh, they haven't ruled out the possibility. But from everything I've heard from Tucker at the media availability so far, he seems to be pretty similar to you in very much not wanting to use both quarterbacks. Now, you said offensive linemen you don't like getting rotated in? No, not particularly. Because uh, that's something that I do think is going to happen based off uh, what Coach Cap was saying in his media availabilities that uh, he wants to rotate those guys quite a bit. <sighs> and so we'll you, see. You had, and that, this is my thing. You had all of spring, all of spring practice, all of summer. Settle on five guys. There is a continuity aspect that this that Michigan State has struggled with along the offensive line for the past three years. Moving people around, having, you know, Luke Campbell at left tackle and then bringing in Blake Buter and then throwing Kevin Jarvis to left tackle and then just moving all of these guys all around consistently, settle with five guys. And then if there are injuries, there are injuries. But they have a lot of guys that have started, but it's not good experience. It's because every it's because people get hurt constantly it seems at a greater clip here than every other university in the big 10 and because people are getting benched people were getting benched because they can't play well but we will get into that a little bit later biggest thing i wanted to start off with and this has east lansing the michigan state football community and frankly the rest of the big 10 a buzz was recruiting michigan state as of 5 12 p.m on august 23rd According to 247 Sports, which is by far and away the best recruiting website in terms of rankings, analytics, player profiles, the whole nine yards, has the 18th ranked recruiting class in the country and the fifth best ranked recruiting class in the Big Ten. That is insane for a second-year coach, especially when within a week, week and a half period, you got three in-state four-stars. You pry Jaden Mangum, the four-star from Birmingham Groves, from West Virginia. It looked like he was going to be a West Virginia commit all the way down to the wire. But something changed for Tucker when Mangum goes to SpartanCon. He delays his commitment a week because of internet issues. I think we all really knew what that was about. It, it wasn't internet issues. It might have been, but I, I think, you know, he needed an extra week to, to really contemplate everything. Antonio Gates Jr. was a guy who I think most of us thought was going to come. He was really the only one out of those three in-state four-stars who had been projected to go to Michigan State for a while. And then Alex Van Sumer in the highest recruit right now in the 2022 class from uh, Garbersville, Essex. This kid is just a moose. Like, I, he is my favorite recruit in that entire class, bar none, just because He's a mauler. He looks like a young Arnold Schwarzenegger in terms of just body build. Like the kid is already looks like he could bench press a tank. And it really helps is, you know, that's the guy that you wanted, especially after Rayshon Benny left, was committed to Michigan State originally, then decommitted and went to Michigan in the 2021 class. That's just a huge commit. Absolutely huge. And I wanted to hear your guys' thoughts. Uh, I'm very excited about Antonio Gates. Uh, first off, he just brings incredible physicality to the team. Um, he's different kind of wide receiver. You know, he's going to be able to uh, bully guys, if you will. Um, you know, his he has certain weaknesses. They're unsure if you know he'll be able to um, if he has the speed and ability to just blow by defenders but using that physicality I think uh I think that'll help him a lot so I'm really looking forward to watching Gates well when Gates comes across to me not he's not really a speed burner like a Mangum is Mangum's right. a guy who's going to get vertical one who's just going to stretch your defense and put a lot of pressure on the back end whether he plays corner whether he plays safety I know there's been different rumors about he's listed as an athlete which basically means a positionless player who plays both ways in high school. But Gates is just more of like that tall 50-50 high point ball receiver. That 6'3, 6'4X receiver who's just gonna be who's gonna go up against an opposing team's tallest corner, who's gonna be physical at the line of scrimmage, a la sort of Ricky White, and a guy who you can just throw the ball up to 
And nine times out of the 10, if the ball's thrown correctly and the placement's good, he's going to come down with the ball. That's what he comes across to me. And frankly, that's something this team needs. Because you brought in Christian Fitzpatrick, you have Jaden Reed, you have you had Jalen Naylor, but I thought Trayvon Morgan going into this year before he transferred was going to get that third overall spot just because he's that six, seven red zone option. But with him gone, you need another guy like that. I think that's where he slides in next year. Yeah, I think that they have a lot of excitement. As you kind of mentioned, Buzz, surrounding this recruiting class coming up. And it's something that is going to be interesting to see because Tucker talked at media day about not wanting, you can't just temper the expectations anymore. It's a win now type world. And he's going to need these recruits to be able to do that. The biggest thing for me too, in terms of, in terms of this whole thing. And I wrote about this, I wrote about this extensively in one of the columns uh, I published a couple of weeks back was this coast-to-coast recruiting aspect. Under Mark D'Antonio, it was more of a regional sort of recruiting mindset. Ohio, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, occasionally down in Texas. But you weren't getting guys from California. You weren't getting guys down in Georgia. You weren't getting guys from IMG in Florida. Now you're starting to see Tucker embrace where college football is going. You're making inroads at these sort of football powerhouses. You know, you get Caden Hauser from John Bosco. As I said, you get Aiden Willie from the three-star cornerback from IMG. Not only are you going coast to coast, you got Gino Vanderbark last year. That's another example from Rutgers backyard. You got Ken Coleman down in Louisiana. That's what you have to do to win. You have to win your state. You have to win your region. But you also have to be able to sell yourself and go 2,000 miles east, 1,000 miles west if you want to win these games. You have to be able to go up to Philadelphia. You have to be able to go down south. You have to be able to go to California. And he's doing that, and that's the most encouraging thing for me. It's being able to go into the breadbasket of the, of the Pac-12 like they did with Caden Hauser and pulling him out. He had offers from every Pac-12 school, California, Arizona State, Washington, Washington State, and magically Michigan State's able to pull him out. And now he's a four-star recruit. He was a pretty much a four-star recruit on 247's composite sports ratings, but he got a nice little boost. So I'm curious as to what you guys think is like sort of this most optimistic thing. But for me, it's really this coast-to-coast modern-day embracing of recruiting analytics. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that is huge for Spartan program, like you said, with Antonio, that was never really the case. It's more of a regional um, approach that he took. And I just, I don't know, I think, uh, I think Mel knows um, what he's got to do, what, how you have to recruit to be successful this day and age in college football. And um, I think that's just, a great thing to have in, uh, in, our, in Michigan State's head coach. Can we talk as well about the hiring of Thomas Wilcher and the impact that's going to have? Because he talked a couple days ago, and I just think that he's somebody that already seems to have flipped the script a little bit on Michigan State's reputation in Detroit and in that spot trying to kind of win the state, as you mentioned, as well as that coast to coast. He's going to be huge. I mean, that's one thing Michigan State has really struggled is getting those big blue chip prospects from Detroit. You've seen that. I mean, you know, you have some success with Elijah Collins, UAD, but they're not getting guys from MLK. They're not getting guys from Cass Tech with regularity like Michigan has been. And it's going to be interesting to see what effect that has. That's something that, again, is going to take a couple of years because of the NCAA's restrictions on hiring a collegiate or hiring a high school coach and then kind of going in there, they make you wait a couple of years, but I give him an A plus. I mean, I know it's, you still are probably going to get a couple more recruits, maybe Jaleel Martin, maybe Kamari Landers of Dearborn Fortson, but the vast majority of the work is done. I mean, you might get 22, 23 overall commits right now. You're at 19, 18. If Trey, or it depends what Trey Holloman decides to do, but I just don't think you can say enough about what he's been able to do. 
he's gotten three of the top 10 recruits in the state of Michigan. Again, that's something you couldn't say under Mark, and that's not bashing Mark at all. Mark did a lot of what's the best coach the university has had. But it's been a long, long time since you saw Michigan State in the upper level of the Big Ten in terms of recruiting. And that's where you win. That's frankly where you win. Now you have to keep the guys. How confident are we that we're going to see Jaden Mangum next year, that we're going to see Van Sumer, and that we're going to see Antonio Gates? Do we think any of these guys decommit, come in or do we think that they stay? I think they all stay personally, but. I personally think they all stay. I don't know. Zach? I don't know. Um, you hear a lot of people, you hear a lot about decommitments very often in these. And Tucker and Michigan State are one of those schools that are just using, they know they can continue to recruit a guy once they commit. And so all it takes is one high level offer. Like if, Kate Hauser, for example, were to get an offer from Clemson out of the blue. I don't think he's coming to Michigan State. I'm not saying that's happening, but I'm just saying in general that all it takes is one change. And so I would not be surprised to see some guys leave, but I don't know who that would be. And I don't have any reason to believe exactly that those will. It's just something to definitely keep an eye on. And maybe this is my perception, but I just think recruits are cognizant of the fact that it's a bad look if you say yep i'm going to boise state no sorry i'm going to michigan state no i'm not going to michigan state anymore like you can't keep doing that like maybe oh, yeah, you no, can do no, it once that's the yeah. other thing i think that they have the benefit of with hauser and especially van sumer who's committed to michigan he was committed to michigan not anymore i don't think you're going to see him spurn another school right i just don't think that's a good look yeah i agree so We'll see where where this ends up falling and where the recruiting class ends up ranking at the end. You're probably looking at a top 20, top 25 recruiting class. And it's funny because I think it was the day we were driving back, Zach, or maybe the day after when Antonio Gates commits, and then you just have to floodgates open. Yeah. Do you guys think there's any chance of them getting Dylan Tatum out of West Bloomfield? That's something that we've kind of heard back and forth. He's between Michigan, Michigan State. Baylor was in there. Notre Dame was in there. High four-star athlete recruit, probably either plays corner or running back at the next level. It seems like his front's kind of gone quiet. It seemed like he was Michigan, 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 but it, it seems like it's gotten a lot quieter on that end. Yeah, I mean... It has gone quiet, I think, because, I don't know, Tennessee, they're kind of right there as well. Um, they just, uh, volunteers just offered him, and it's, I don't I think it's really up in there for, uh, for Tatum, but if I had to predict, I'd say no. He doesn't go to Michigan State. I don't think so either. I, I think he still probably goes to Michigan just based on everything. There's been not one recruiting analyst that said, yeah, he's going to definitely go to Michigan State. It's always been, yeah, MSU's in the same room, but they're not at sitting at the head of the table, at least not yet. With that being said, Zach, you mentioned it earlier about Mel continuing to recruit these guys after they supposedly, supposedly committed. One thing that I want our viewers to keep a close eye on is Keontae Goodwin the four-star from Kentucky. He's committed, but Michigan State is pestering the crap out of him. And I don't mean pestering him in a bad way. I mean continually sort of trying to get him to commit. That's a guy I think has a half-decent shot of flipping just because he's going to visit Michigan State later in the fall. And that gets to, if you can beat Northwestern, you can beat Miami down in Florida, and he visits week five, week six, this team's undefeated then things are really going to start going. Him and Jeremiah Caldwell, the other guy, the linebacker out of Belleville who was originally committed to Kentucky, decommitted. Now it looks like he's either going to go to MSU or Tennessee. High three-star. So definitely some things still happening out on the recruiting trail. But now we get to the big crux of the episode, and that is the Northwestern preview. This, I'm going to offer my thoughts on this game, and then I'm going to let you guys take it away. I know the media is not high on this Michigan State football team at all. It seems every poll, every Vegas odds maker thinks they're going to finish last. But I think this is a winnable game. 
I think it's a very winnable game. And if it was me personally, and I was an odds maker, I'd almost probably place it in a, I'd almost place it in a pickup. North, when Northwestern lost everybody from a year ago, you lost Rashawn Slater, who granted didn't play last year, but that's still a big loss. Greg Newsome, Ernest Brown, Patty Fisher, Blake Gallagher, your two starting linebackers. According to ESPN analyst Bill Connolly, and this was an interesting graphic I found a couple days ago, Northwestern only returns 34% of their production from a year ago. 34%. And it's not like they're refilling the bucket on the other end with recruiting. Technically speaking, from an official ratings aspect, they have a worse recruiting class than Michigan State did a year ago. 11th, I think they're 11th in the Big Ten, technically speaking. But you still have to replace Peyton Ramsey. Eco Leota, who, when Zach and I were calling the game, we probably said his name five or six times when he was harassing Jordan Simmons in the Spartan backfield, transfers to Auburn. And then we hear Hunter Johnson, the former Clemson five-star, is going to start. He has all the talent in the world, but in 2019, he was awful. Absolutely awful. One score, four interceptions, 46% completion percentage. I thought Northwestern was going to go with Ryan Helinski personally. I was surprised that they pick Johnson but there's a lot of questions with this Northwestern team and I think this is a very winnable game for the Spartans a very winnable game yeah I mean with uh with Cam Porter injury and Frank's injury I and just the uncertainty behind um you know with the lack of uh guys returning it's just I think I think Northwestern just is in a place where they're searching for identity right now. And obviously can't really say Michigan State's not doing the same, but, um, you know, I think, I think the future is slightly brighter for Michigan State, whereas I think Northwestern is kind of, is kind of falling into a decline. Um, and this is going to be the season where they have to figure it out. So, no, I don't, I, I think, I got Michigan State week one, but, um, you know, it's not – it's it's really not a sure thing uh, by any means. So, um, but that that's where I'm kind of sitting right now. I've been so hesitant to kind of form an opinion on this game because I'm really not high at all on Northwestern for a lot of the reasons that you guys already talked about. But I still – I have no idea what to expect from this Michigan State team. There's so many transfers here in the media availabilities and the sessions. This team sounds and looks like a team that thinks they're going to be really good. But every team at this point in the year thinks that they're going to have a chance to be really good. So now the big question is, what's going to happen next? And where are things going to go from here? And how do they continue to put things together? And I think we'll know a whole lot more about that during this Northwestern game. And it's important to preface this by saying week one predictions in any sport are pretty much completely useless because you have no baseline. Michigan State and Northwestern, other than maybe Michigan, other than the Wolverines, had more turnover on both sides of the ball. The one, my bottom line, and this is where I'm sticking, and maybe I'm, I'm drawing a line between two points that really I really shouldn't be, my thinking is, albeit I know it was at home, but you didn't have a lot of fans. If you can get Michigan State, a, at least on paper, a much weaker Michigan State team last year to beat number eight Northwestern at, at home, you know, with the air quotes, I don't see why you can't do it on the road. I know there are questions. I know that there's going to be a lot of gelling to do on the field because there's a good chance this defense starts – what, six, seven new players, and then rotates in even more. But I, between the 14 high-quality transfers that you get, between returning two of the best wide receivers in the Big Ten, a good defensive line unit, between bringing in Quavaris Crouch, who I think is going to be a monster, was, a, was he a five-star out of high school or he was a border? I think he was. He was either a high, a very, very high four-star or a low five-star. He was a either way, right? Was an absolute monster. Ben Van Sumeren, 
Ronald Williams, who was probably in line to start at Alabama last year before he hurts his arm. You have all of these guys that have come from Florida, that have come from Tennessee, that have come from Arizona, Wake Forest, Kenneth Walker, another guy. I don't see how with all of this talent, you can't put an adequate unit together. And we know Northwestern's not going to score more than 20. They always, whenever they're down in Evanston, it's a close game. They're not a run. They're a very vanilla-esque, pounded at you sort of offense. They're not going to throw it deep, especially week one. They're going to try to make Michigan State. They're going to try to beat Michigan State on the ground. And I don't think that's something they can do. Not with Drew Beasley coming back, not with Jacob Panashoot coming back, not with returning Deshaun Mallory, Jacob Slade on the inside, Maverick Hansen, Drew Jordan, who you added, Michael Fletcher. They are so deep. But this game is going to be one in the trenches. And Zach, I'm going to kick it back to you for a second because I know you've been at these media availability sessions and you've been able to see more practice, albeit in 15-minute increments, than either Aiden or I have. What have you seen from this team, from the transfers, just everything in general? So there's been a lot of different things that I think have come out of this. But I would say first touching on kind of your trenches stuff, I've really been impressed with the offensive line coach, Coach Kaplanovich, and his ability to work with that group. Whenever we've been out there, it's been every single rep he's had something for someone, whether it's about pad level or whether it's about hands or whatever it is, he's always working with them. And that really impressed me watching their practice. And I think this offensive line unit could maybe be pretty good. Um, and that's just kind of how high I am and how high the staff seems to be on Jarrett Horst, the transfer from Arkansas State, um, as well as the, uh, as well as some of the other pieces on that group. I think that they moved A.J. Arcuri over to right tackle. So you're going to have Horst at left and Arcuri at right tackle. Then that allows them to move Kevin Jarvis back inside to the guard position. And so that's where he was most comfortable at. That's where he originally came in at. And so I think that this group has a chance to be solid there. Defensively, Atavion Brown working as an edge rusher is something that I didn't expect, but I think could give them another run as well on that outside edge. You talked earlier about some of these offensive linemen rotating in. Do you think we're going to see something like Matt Allen gets a series at center, then Nick Samak gets a series at center, and then Matt Carrick comes in to relieve Kevin Jarvis? Are there like any guys specifically that you think could possibly break in, like Buter or Luke Campbell? I think Allen and Samak seem like they're neck and neck for that battle at the center spot. We talked with uh, Allen a couple weeks ago. Um, have not gotten to talk to Samac yet, but it seemed like from what Kaplovich was saying, it seemed like those two guys are right there in terms of who's going to start at center, which kind of surprised me. I thought it was going to be Samac. Um, but with Allen coming back for his sixth year, a lot of experience there. And so that's an interesting spot. Beyond that, I don't think Kaplovich gave any specific names for other guys he just said that he likes to or he wants to try and rotate it in depending on how much of a fall off there is between guys the biggest thing I think Tucker likes about Allen probably admittedly more so than I do he's not a bad center when he's healthy but he comes across to me as a very grinded out sort of gritty offensive lineman who just kind of for a lack of a better term kind of brings his hard hat his lunch pail to work and just goes and that's what Tucker's always talked about being a meat and potatoes program, not being flashy, just shutting up, doing your work, you know, getting in at nine o'clock and punching out at five. And that's how he's always come across to me. It's just this very hardworking, quiet guy. But my biggest thing, at least from what I've seen on Twitter and my biggest uh, hope for that offensive line, because let's be honest, it, that's, I think, where the majority of the season is going to be decided. This team has an average offensive line. They're a six-win team because there's not another group, maybe a seven-win team. There's not another group that you look at and you say they're definitively awful. There's areas where it's like, okay, they're mediocre, they're average, but it's not like, oh, my God, they're absolutely horrible. They have a bunch of three-star, a low three-star recruits who have never played before in line for starting opportunities. That's not the case. My biggest thing is Jarvis kicking back inside. 
he has always been a guard to me. And I know they threw him out. They threw him out at tackle because, frankly, you needed a tackle in, in years past. But he played his best ball his first two years when he was at right guard. That's where he succeeded as being this giant mauler, this 6'6 guy who is just able to go one-on-one with another 320-pound nose guard on an opposing team and driving them away and driving them off the line of scrimmage. He's not like the quickest, you know, quickest defeat in terms of dealing with edge rushers. And I think that's where he's gotten in trouble. I love Horst in the starting lineup. Like that is something I have wanted to see. He has experience at Arkansas State as a left tackle the past two years. So he's gotten division one playing experience. He was all conference. He's got just so many intangibles and he's a, he's a mauler too. He plays with an attitude and he wants to finish through the whistle. And that's what you need out of your left tackle. If he can do that, if he can keep Russo and Thorne clear 95% of the time and give them five seconds in the pocket, I think they'll be fine. Because I don't think the interior of this offensive line is horribly weak either. I like J.D. Duplain. I like Allen. I like Sinek. I don't think they were the problem last year. And I don't think our curate right tackle is the worst thing in the world either. I thought he did some nice things at left tackle. It really just, and I don't want to be too hard on Carrick, but I, he was by far and away the worst offensive lineman starting day in and day out the last two years. And I think he's really hurt this team at times. And him not being in the starting lineup overall, I think is a very good thing. With that being said, have you heard anything like injury-wise? I know Mel kind of keeps that close to his vest, but like where's Luke Campbell? We didn't see him in the spring game, but he's supposedly back. Where's Ricky White for that matter? So Ricky White is probably the biggest mystery about Michigan State football because no one knows where he is. Um, I mean, the staff and the team do, but like media-wise, he we have not seen him at any practices. And someone asked Mel for an update, and he said that he was he had no update to give. And so, short answer: we don't know anything about Ricky White. Um, Luke Campbell. Kapovich said he was going to continue working at tackle, I believe. Um, but that was pretty much all we got about Campbell. And so I don't know exactly where that's going to go. Um, but injuries wise, we saw the first practice that we were at Malik Carr was in a boot, but the last few practices he was not, and he was dressed. And so he's a guy that could fit into that tight end room and make that an interesting race for the tight end spot. Um, but injuries-wise, that's pretty much all I've seen. And Tucker said that he feels like they are a pretty healthy squad overall right now. What has happened to Trent Gillison? Like Mr. Four Star that put up a that put up a monster numbers in the pinstripe bowl is now getting out. He got outplayed last year by Tyler Hunt. And from everything I've seen and I've heard, it looks like Hunt's running with the ones again. I think it's going to be Hunt. I think you're going to see Connor Hayward there. Hayward has worked a lot with them um, as a potential spot to be in that tight end room. And then I think you've also got to look at Malik Carr, giving them another element and another spot there. So Gillison's going to have his work cut out for him. But Tucker's been very clear about the best players play, and the tape will tell you that. So Gillison will have a chance to prove, using all of that talent, that he can be there. It'll be really, this is maybe the most optimistic I think a lot of people have been about Michigan State football in a while because there's so much unknown, but there's also so much just pure talent. This team on paper, honest to God, is a seven to eight win team. And I know everybody listening is thinking I'm not saying that. But at the end of the day, Anthony Russo won eight games two years in a row at Temple. You're bringing Malik Carr, high four star. Quavars Crouch, again, Chester Kimbrough. When you are bringing in guys like Kimbrough, Williams, who are playing at Florida, Alabama, Crouch, who started two years at Tennessee, Jarrett Horst, who was all Sunbelt, Kenneth Walker, who ran for, what, 10 rushing touchdowns last year? It, or no, 13 was tied for the 10th best mark in the country. You are bringing in legitimate talent. Legitimate talent that it either had offers from Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, legitimate talent that's shown that they can succeed 
on a level, on a collegiate level. So I think there's going to be some gelling, but I also think people can look at this Michigan State team, and I think what a lot of media members are doing, and a lot of people, frankly, outside the East Lansing area, oh, they went two and five last year. Yeah, we'll just write them off again. Second year, coach rebuild, yada, yada, yada. I don't think a lot of people have taken the necessary time to examine the pedigree of the transfers that they brought in, examine the pedigree of the recruits that they brought in. Like, and Zach, feel free to correct me on this, but like from what I've seen just on Twitter, just by different reports, like Keon Coleman's lighting it up. Yeah. So Keon Coleman is the talk of seems like every media availability because in the drills that we've gotten to see, he's been really impressive. Um, He's just a freak of nature athletically. He can move, he can jump, he's all over the place. Talking to them, he's been, he's pretty raw, but it seems like there's at the very least a possibility that he's going to get a good chance to get out on the field just because he's that talented athletically and that they might just let his athleticism play, especially because a lot of people have put Trey Mosley in this spot. I'm not ready to do that yet. I think Michigan State still needs a third wide receiver. And I think that wide receiver three spot is still wide open between Keon Coleman, Monterey Foster, Terry Lockett, Trey Mosley, Keon Coleman, a lot of different guys that they could fit into that spot. And so I think there's a chance that you could see Coleman making his way in there already. Have you seen anything else from any of the other sort of blue chip prospects? I'm, you know, Ma, J-O-T, uh, Gino Vandermark, so, Charles Brantley. If the coaches mention any of those guys by name. So they really like uh, what Brantley has given them as well. Um, he's been good. Tucker really talked about him. He was really hands-on on one of the practices in one of the drills with the defensive backs that we were at. And you could just hear him screaming, got to give Chuck a chance because that guy has been lighting it up in some drills. He's got a lot of talent over there. A um, little bit smaller. And so that's something they're kind of hoping that he can build up soon. But everybody has been really high on the strength and conditioning staff that Michigan State has hired. And along with the diet, the nutrition staff as well. And so, I mean, we've all seen the pictures on social media of those transformations of those guys. They're really putting it in. And this team, I think, is going to be stronger. I think Ma is somebody that Coach Hazelton really talked about has just a note his IQ and his ability to just go at the game and not have to take things slow has really put him ahead. But I don't know that he's ahead enough to where he's going to be able to get in too much in this four, two, five scheme that they run, especially when you've got Crouch and Van Summeren and Harvey and all those and Klein, all those guys in there ahead of him. The biggest thing that I love what Mel did in the off season period, when you talk about transfers, when you talk about recruits, from a transfer aspect, these guys that he brought in, with the exception of Drew Jordan and Russo, I believe, have multiple years of eligibility. These guys that you've gotten, you can build a foundation around, especially with last year, the NCAA just waving the white flag and saying, this year doesn't really count for anything. It doesn't count toward your eligibility. Kenneth Walker still has three more years. Now, do I think he stays three years? No, but he'll be here next year. Harold Joyner's in that same boat. Jarrett Horst has two years left. Ronald Williams has two years left. I think Kimbrough has three. Malik Carr has four. Ben Van Sumeren has two. So these are guys you're going to hear not just this year, but next year. And if you can get six, seven wins this year with this foundation, with this new foundation of these transfers, these big name transfers, combine that with the top 20 recruiting class that you got, assuming that you can keep Mangum, assuming that you can keep Gates, assuming that you can keep Van Sumeren, East Lansing this time next year is going to be bouncing. Absolutely bouncing. I agree. I think Williams is going to be a stud. I think uh, not that many people are talking about him enough. He's going to be really good. I mean, you mentioned it. He broke his arm last year in camp guarding the Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah, Devontae Smith. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, and that usually means that you're running with the ones. This guy never played corner. He was a quarterback in high school. He got to Juco, and he switched to corner. Had never really played defense. But he's got that quarterback mindset. 
which really helps him. He was talking about it with us a couple days ago at media availability. He was saying that it really helps him. He said, because like quarterbacks will try to look them off with their eyes or use these other things. And he already knows what they're going to do because as he said, I used to do that. And so that allows him to do that as well as his big size and frame out there. I think he's going to be really, really good. I was surprised to see that they moved Angelo Gross to safety. Oh, they love him. They love what he has done. And I, like, I, I thought, especially toward the latter part of the year, you saw flash, especially against Northwestern, the amount of open field tackles that he made on crossing routes across the middle and the support that he offers when you bring him up in the block, in the box, and you kind of disguise him with some different blitzes, he, he plays a lot bigger than what he is. Like, he has added some muscle, but especially last year, he was one of the skinnier guys on the team, one of the scrawnier guys. But I was surprised because you still have Dowell back there. You still have Xavier Henderson. Have they talked about why they wanted to move him back there when he showed so much promise in the nickel? Yeah, so Tucker seems to think of Angelo Gross like Tyron Matthew. Calls him Sugar Weasel because he said that uh, he reminds him of the Honey Badger. And so that's the comparison that I've heard. And it sounds like Dowell is going to be the nickel spot for them. Um, it kind of moved Dowell over to the nickel and allowed Groves to move into that free safety spot. But I'm not sure exactly why that was their decision, but they seem to have been really, really impressed with everything Angelo Groves has given them since that move. And I think that's the reason why you move Atavian Brown to end. You know, we talked about positional versatility. My biggest question was, where are you going to move all these guys once they get here? We looked at a guy, like, I looked at a guy like Malik Carr comes in, he's 6'4", 240. No way he's going to be a receiver. He was listed as a receiver at Purdue. They're going to move him to tight end. I like putting Brown as a stand-up defensive end because after next year, you're losing Beasley, you're losing Panashuk, you're losing Drew Jordan. But you still have Ma, you still have Crouch, you still have Van Sumer, an at linebacker he's so quick and so athletic another four-star mind you out of high school I I love that move I think the quickness and the unique blend of quickness and power is going to pay dividends yeah so that was something that it sounds like was super recent we were talking to Scotty Hazleton at the last media availability on Thursday and he said that it really was something where he was working with the linebackers and they saw him move his hips and turn and all of that and then uh they decided that they felt like, hey, this guy could be pretty good on the end. And so they moved him over. He said that it might be a little minute or be a minute before he's all the way caught up to speed on the defensive spot because he hasn't been, he's been in the room with the linebackers. But now him moving over, I really think is going to have another big effect because he's so explosive on that edge. Do you see a scenario in which starters who played decent last year, I'm not talking about, you know, guys like Matt Carrick. I'm talking about guys like Kalan Gervin or um, Chase Klein or Noah Harvey. Do you see a, a world in which maybe Kimbrough and Ronald Williams really grab those outside corner spots? Because that's where Gervin was, is more of like that press corner. Do you see a scenario in which maybe like Gervin goes to the bench and then maybe Harvey goes to the bench for someone like Van Sumeran or Crouch? So I think that I don't, this is all just kind of my guess because really we don't, I don't think anybody really knows for sure what this is going to look like. But if I had to guess, I would say that Ronald Williams is probably going to start as one of those spots. I think Gervin will probably start the year as the starting corner, but I don't know that he'll finish it because there's a whole lot of talent in Chester Kimbrough right there as well. So I could see Kimbrough potentially trying to sneak his way into that spot. And then after that, you've got, you mentioned Noah Harvey. I think Harvey also could come into a spot where Van Sumer could take that job because Harvey is the guy that is going to know the system inside and out. And he's going to be able to make a lot of things for you that way. It's going to be really tough for them to start Van Sumer and Ann Crouch together right away because neither of those guys have been here. And so that will be interesting to see. If I had to guess, I would say at the start of the year, Gervin and Harvey both start, but both of them will have somebody right on their heels. Is there a role for Chase Klein at all? A guy who is kind of 
sort of a stand-up end who played linebacker? Do you think he gets relegated down the depth chart a little? Because last year he was their third linebacker at times last year behind Antoine and Harvey. I think he might be maybe three or four on that. Klein's always really good at special teams. I think he'll stay on that special team spot as well. But I don't know. I mean, Van Sumeren's got a lot of talent. You've got a ton of talent in Crouch. Harvey's the guy that's been there for so long. We'll see. I almost wonder if, and this is just my thought, that going forward, especially on probably third and long, third and intermediate, I see a scenario in which you take Van Sumeren out and you bring in a Kimbrough, you bring in a Ronald Williams, whichever one of those third corners, maybe even a Brantley on the outside. Because as much as I like Van Sumeren, it's just sort of like a run supporting linebacker. He's such a downhill presence. Like he's going to go against an offensive lineman and lay a couple of them on their butt every year. He's just that strong and that physical. I don't know how good he is in coverage. That was his question mark out of Michigan was he's a weight room gym rat. He can squat anything. He is exceptionally strong and you're not going to be able to run him into the ground, but by the same token, he's all, he also didn't come out of high school running a four five 40. So I almost wonder if you take him off and then you, you sort of find a way to get in some of these other guys in and sort of these creative sub packages, of course, depending on the down and distance and the game time and everything else. Yeah, I could definitely see something like that happening. I think they're definitely going to mix some stuff up. I also think that this team is going to be a little bit different than last year in a lot of the schemes because these coaches have a lot more time to work with them. These guys didn't get a full spring. They didn't get a full fall camp last season. Now they're getting those. And so Scotty Hazelton and Jay Johnson are able to implement the things that they wanted to do from day one that they couldn't do. And so people say Thorne has a leg up on Russo because he knows the system. Yes and no. He didn't really, I mean, he did get the base work of the system, but they didn't get a full year of that system in anyways. And so I think that that battle is going to be something interesting to watch. And uh, before you come at us on Twitter, yes, I've been in all the media avail availabilities. No, I have no idea who's going to be the quarterback. <laughs> I, you know what, I'm going to go with a little bit of an improvisation here and call an audible. Who do we think is going to start week one? Because one of us is going to be wrong. And I, first and foremost, have been on the string since he got here. I got to go with Anthony Russo. I know there's been sort of, nobody really knows. You know, Mel keeps this close to his vest. But this is a guy who wasn't bad at Temple. It's not like you're bringing in a guy who couldn't find the end zone. Russo showed a lot at Temple. Yes, he had some interception problems, but you're still talking about a guy who threw 12 more touchdowns than he did interceptions. The NFL, that might not seem like a big deal, but in college, it's a different thing. He threw for over 6,000 yards. He went to two separate bowl games. He's a good quarterback. Frankly, he's a quarterback that I think you put in, and there's going to be some boneheaded throws he makes, but there's also going to be a lot of vertical shots that he takes, and that really helps your overall game plan. Michigan State's offense was at its best last year when they could hold up in the pocket and they could go vertical with Naylor. They could go vertical like Rookie White did against Michigan and they could go sort of intermediate on those crossing routes and on the deep fades to Jaden Reed. You do that, you give yourself a shot to win. And there's not a throw in the playbook that Russo can't make. And I, I, I frankly don't like the argument of well, Thorne's been in this play, has been in the system longer than Russo has. Um, Russo's also been a starting quarterback in a Division I university at a high level for three years, has had God knows how many offensive coordinators. There's not a system, a play, a style of offense that he hasn't been in. There probably is some degree of variation. But the, just the background knowledge he has, period, I don't think there's nearly as much of sort of schematic element in terms of knowing the playbook for Thorne that Russo doesn't know. I think people are like way overselling that, to be honest with you. Agreed. But I, I'm going to Russo. Like, and I, I, I just don't think you bring in a guy like that and say, yeah, no, you're not going to start. You know, you're, I'm, I'm sure they said you're going to have to compete to start, but he came here knowing full well, this is his last year. He has enough intangibles to 
possibly be a backup quarterback in the NFL or, you know, make some sort of career in a, in a developmental league. I don't think he'd come here if he thought he was going to be a backup. So I got Russo. Who do you guys got? I also have Russo for just about the exact same reasons. He brings in uh, winning experience. And uh, like you said, Stearns, he can make any throw in the playbook. I mean, um, even though, you know, the argument, one of the biggest arguments for Thorne is that he's, um, he has the MSU experience. He knows the playbook, whatnot. Russo has been here long enough to have, they're going to make sure he has that figured out. They're going to make sure that he's settled in. And I don't think that will be an issue. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, if, if they brought him in, they're going to start him. So um, that, that's who I believe will be starting week one. Um, I don't know. This is tough. I think that if I had to guess, I would say it's probably going to be I'll go Russo, but for a little bit of a different reason, I think. Um, I don't know that I think that it was something where he was, yes, he knew he was going to be given an opportunity to compete. But one thing that kind of stood out to me when Ronald Williams was talking a ton was he mentioned over and over again when they asked him what the transfer thing was like, was he said, they told me straight up, you are not guaranteed a starting job. You're not going to get, you're not coming here with a starting job. The best person to play plays. And if that's not you, you won't play. And I'm guessing that's a pretty similar take that they told Anthony Russo. And it seems like something that Russo embraced. Russo, when he talked with us, said, I didn't come here to sit. I came here to play and I came here to win a title. And I think that that's something that, he believes they can do. I think that's something this team seems to believe they can do is compete with Ohio state. I'm not that high on this team, but I'm higher than most media has been. And I think it's going to be Anthony Russo at the helm, but if it is Peyton Thorne, Peyton Thorne will have had to have won that job. And I think Michigan state fans should be excited if it's Peyton Thorne, because that means that he showed he was the better quarterback and he still got four Three, four years of eligibility left, too. All I can say is if Thorne trots out week one as the starter, there's going to be a lot of question marks if things go wrong quickly. Not saying they will, but it's not like you have – it's not like last year when you were afforded, oh, Rocky Lombardi was being, yeah, we can play Peyton Thorne, but nobody knows anything about Peyton Thorne. There's not a track record. There, People don't know what they're getting. It's like you got a guy who was 16 and 10 at Temple behind you. You have a guy who threw more touchdowns than interceptions. You have a guy who won a fair amount of big games and they were temple was always right there in the American. They were all, they were always on that upper tier of teams that could compete. So this is a, a tough decision, but this, like for Thorne, if you get the job, you got to take it and you have to run with it because if you take that baton, and you trip over it and you roll over, people are going to be calling for your job. Then you got Russo in the mix. And then next year, I'll be, and he probably doesn't start. You have Caden Housen, who's been the high, who's going to be the highest rated recruit Michigan State's brought in as a quarterback in God knows how many years. I mean, he's going to be a 93, 94 composite rating by the time he comes here. So, what does that mean for Ham Fay? I. Because that's the thing right now is like if Thorne wins the job, he's got three more years. You've got Hamp Fay, who was the talk of the town when he came in, and then you've got Kate Hauser, and I just I don't know what that means. I think it's too early, to be honest with you. Let's see if let's see if Hauser stays. Um, I still like Fay. I I think he's raw. I think there's a lot of talent there, though. You get, I give him credit. I mean, he's playing down in Texas. He's playing against collegiate competition because football there is a completely different animal than football everywhere else. He's got the size. He's got the intangibles. He's got the arm strength. There's nothing there that he can't do. It's not like, no offense to someone like Noah Kim, who you look, and it's just like, this kid's 160 pounds. Like, he's going to get decked once, and you're going to have to bring out the stretcher. That's not the case with Faye. So, I... I don't know. I think everything, I think everything there is still in front of him. 
And I also think that everybody that Tucker has recruited, I think they're going into this knowing they're going to have to compete every day. That's something that he's talked about relentlessly. It seems every media availability session, every press conference, everything. Like a beat to stay. Yes. Yes. A good player, a player that Tucker's recruited. I trust that he's recruiting guys with the character mindset of, oh, I'm not offended that they just brought in X, Y, and Z. I'm going to take that as a challenge and I'm going to use that to raise my own game. I don't think he's bringing in guys that are like, you know, I don't think you'd have a guy like Noah Harvey sitting there. Well, I'm offended that they brought in Kavara's Crouch and Ben Van Sumeren to push me. I would trust that the guys that stayed are like, nope, you know, this is exactly what I need because I know if I slip up, I don't have a lot of room competition and that sort of thing is a really good thing but i'm excited guys i mean we're talking what t-minus 11 days till we go down to northwestern and then less than a month till miami and Rutgers is in a month and a half i mean it, it's just going to be awesome travel budgets replenish um those sort of waiver restrictions that we had last year are gone it's just going to be somewhat of a normal football season and i i cannot wait like it is going to be nuts. That first home game is going to be nuts. You are going to see people at 9.30 a.m. with four bottles of fireball around them. And I'm going to laugh and I'm going to be jealous that I am not that person. Youngstown State game, the noon kickoff for game one at Spartan Stadium on the year. That's going to be nuts. Buckle up. Buckle up. Oh man, it's, it is going to be exciting. It is going to be thrilling. Before we sign off, we got some pickums. I know this was something that college Joe, Eric always loved doing. And I admittedly didn't put in as much effort in picking the games as they did. I only picked, I only picked three of the games out of the five because the other two were like Fresno state and somebody else. And they didn't seem very interesting. So I decided to go with three of the games that at least have some sort of interesting appeal I'll start off Nebraska right now, six and a half point favorites going down to Champaign this Saturday. I'm going with Illinois. I think Nebraska is a train wreck. I think Scott Frost is on his last leg. You're hearing about the recruiting violations, the coaching violations right now. Not very high on Illinois, but this just seems like a very two bottom dwelling Big Ten West teams. I, I can't, I can't good conscience pink the Huskers on the road by almost a touchdown. So I'm going with Illinois. I don't think they win, but I am picking Illinois to cover. I think, uh, I do think Nebraska wins. I do, I do think Illinois will cover though, um, just for the sole fact that um, it's in Champaign week one, which I think is a big deal. So does Illinois, do they still have Brandon Peters there? I believe they do, yes. Actually, let me check. Who did they – so what? They, they can't love and Who did they hire? Why can't, I can't think of who they hired all of a sudden. Bielema. It's the Wisconsin. Yeah, Bielema. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, he's still there. He's okay, a senior. He's still there. I'm still going to take Nebraska, and I'm going to take him to cover. I'm not that high on Nebraska, but I do think that Adrian Martinez um, – has enough talent that he's going to be able to carry Nebraska in that one. Here's an interesting line. UCLA right now down 17 and a half to UCLA. I'm going UCLA to win. That's a lot of points. Hawaii is better than people give them credit for coming off a five and four year. They're not the same football program that they were when they lost to Michigan 63 to three. They're competitive. It's not a huge, they don't have to travel across the country like they do for so many of their other non-conference games in the past. I, I like UCLA. I like Chip Kelly, but I, that's too many points for me. I think in UCLA wins probably in the margin is 10 to 13 points, but I think that Hawaii covers. I agree. I think, uh, UCLA wins, but Hawaii covers. I think that spread is uh, too wide. So I really like UCLA this year. Um, I think that they're going to be really solid. They finally started last season to kind of look like a Chip Kelly team, put up a lot of points. 
I think this game's going to be a shootout and it's going to be the most fun game of the weekend by far to watch. But I'm going to go with you guys. I'm going to say that UCLA will win the game, maybe, but we're picking against the spread, so I'm going to take Hawaii. Final game, and this, I had to pick one of the crappy games. UTEP at New Mexico State, traditionally a rivalry, traditionally a rivalry that UTEP is one, UTEP favored by eight and a half over New Mexico State. I know very, very little about either one of these teams. Um, give me UTEP. I, I have no reason for picking either one at all. I admittedly like don't care enough about either one of these teams to do the required research. So I'm just going to go UTEP for the sake of knowing UTEP. Um, I'm kind of in the same boat of not having too much knowledge of either team, but uh, just for funsies, I'll go with the upset uh, New Mexico State. Oh, you actually did have a mind of your own. I figured after the first two picks, when you when you butch when you copied off me, you. I'm proud of you, champion. I'm proud of you. I'll copy off you, Stearns. I don't have any idea, but I think UTEP has a cooler mascot and a cooler logo, so I'm going to take UTEP. All right. That just about does it here for this week's episode of SRZ. We'll see if we get in another podcast before Northwestern. It's going to be really busy with everything starting up and, you know, work at the station and everything starting up. So we'll see, but this is going to be an exciting year of Michigan state football. And this is the first year. I really think you can say the barometer has to be getting to a bowl game. You have enough talent. You're recruited well enough. Your schedule's easy enough, especially because by the time Michigan state plays Nebraska week four, I think there's a half decent shot that if frost is slow out of the gate, he's his seat's going to be boiling hot Going down to Purdue, Purdue and Northwestern probably have the two weakest like home field advantages in the conference. Um, I don't think, I mean, Illinois, you could probably put on that list too, but in terms of having to go to Northwestern and to Purdue, it's better than going to Camp Randall or going to Iowa or going pretty much anywhere else in the conference. Maryland has question marks. Rutgers has question marks. You only lost to Rutgers by 11. You still scored four touchdowns with Rocky flipping Lombardi, who's now at Northern Illinois, and you had seven turnovers. I think that's the game Michigan State could easily win. I think I think them and Rutgers are going to be are on the are on that sort of uphill slope, but I think Michigan's on the decline. I think this is Harbaugh's worst team that he's had since he's been in Ann Arbor. Way too many question marks on both sides of the ball. That's a winnable game. You're not going to win every toss-up game, but even if you win half those toss-up games and you take care of what you're supposed to against Youngstown State and Western Kentucky, you get to six, seven wins. And if they can do that, the year's a success. I don't care how you get to a bowl game, get to six wins, be 500 in conference, or just be 500 on the year, and I will consider the year a success. Like you guys, what do you guys, like six, seven wins? Is that where like you guys tend to lean like for this year to be a success? I think anything less than that, and I'm, I'm writing the year off as a disappointment. I have been leaning towards 500 and I'm still sticking with that. Yeah, I think you got to make a bowl game. Um, and I think that you mentioned it. I think you hit it on the head. I think I could see this Michigan State team being anywhere from four and eight to nine and three. If everything goes right, they win all those toss-up games. They beat Miami. They do all of that. I think they could get to nine and three. But I don't necessarily think that's the most likely thing, but I think it's possible. I also think they could lose a lot of those games and they could end up three and nine or four and eight. So we'll see. I, I've said that a lot, but I don't know that there's ever been a Michigan State team that I've had less of an idea of what was going to show up on the field that first game. But again, it's exciting because there's the potential to be better. Nobody was excited for last year because you knew everybody that was playing. It's like, if everything goes well, they're a four-win team. Like, if everything goes well for this Michigan State team, they can easily get to eight wins. But we'll see. I mean, we still have a week and a half. Michigan State's still going to be practicing. I'm actually refreshing the Twitter feed because I know some of the uh, MSU media members went out to the – what is it meet the Spartans day? But since there's like no media availability and no post-game pressers, I didn't figure there was much. Well, to... Apparently uh, there is some notes. Uh, 
Gross was fielding punts. He was back uh, fielding punts. Uh, Ma is in shorts with no helmet. Um, Berghorst has a brace on his knee with no pads. And Jacob Slade has a cast on his right hand and wrist. And I saw that Carson Castile, the recruit from Alabama, the low three-star, was running around with – he's on a boot or something. Or he has like one of those – it's not like a segue, but it's one of those things where you have like a cast on and then your knee kind of goes at a right angle and it adds a little bit of a cushion. So he's probably out for a while too, but going to be really, really exciting guys. You know, can't wait for this whole entire year. Hopefully we can get back in the studio here soon. Um, thank you guys for listening as always, and we'll talk to you next time.